Dear Points High alumni, can you believe it's been 10 years since you left Gross Point? Don't tease me, you know what I do for a living. I just honestly don't know why I haven't common with those people anymore. And what am I gonna say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. I, uh, I'm a pet psychiatrist. I sell couch insurance. I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Hi, I'm Martin. You remember me? Oh, I know who you are. Who I miss? What, since you stood me up on prom night and vanished without a word? Home. I got you, Yeah, I'm putting together a little concern. You mean like a union? Right You're in trouble. Right Just a moment. Right Welcome back, Pointer. You haven't changed a bit. Don't say that. <laughs> what do you do, Martin? Professional killer. Good for you, it's a... Industry. Do you have to do postgraduate work for that, or can you can you jump right in? There's a contract out in your life, but I'm not going to do it. It's either because I'm in love with your daughter, or I have a newfound respect for life. That punk is either in love with that guy's daughter, or he has a newfound respect for life. Debbie, I'm in love with you. But I know we can make this relationship work. It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions. I just need time to change. Why don't you just join the union? This union, is there going to be meetings? Of course! No meetings. I want you to think about this, and you don't have to answer it now. But Debbie, will you marry me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White, and what are we looking at this time? We are looking at the movie Gross Point Blank. Starring John Cusack, Minnie Driver, Alan Arkin, and of course, Dan Aykroyd. This movie, I remember seeing it briefly. I don't think I ever saw it from start to finish. I, I've seen clips of this movie, and that was years and years and years ago, right around when it first came out. All this movie was new to me. I remembered a few a few points, but it's it was all just a, basically a new experience for me. And... I am from Michigan, so uh, I am familiar with uh, Gro uh, Gross Point. So it was a little bit nostalgic for me to. I know the movie wasn't shot in Gross Point, uh, Gross Point, but uh, just to they did a couple of exterior shots, and it was just just nice to see my state represented in a movie, kind of. The movie starts with the song "I Can See Clearly Now," and I want to say this before we get started: the mini driver character in this movie is a DJ. And they're having a reunion, their 1986 reunion. This movie took place in 1997, so it's a 10-year reunion. And they play a lot of 80s songs. The soundtrack is just full of 80s songs. I was really happy with the soundtrack of this movie. It just brought back a lot of memories of high school for me, because I myself graduated in 87. And if you want to, you can put the math together and find out how old I am. So the movie starts with the song, I Can See Clearly Now. We see John Cusack, he's putting some sort of fluid into his eye, and he's on a headset with his secretary, played by his sister, Joan Cusack. And it's that we always hear about the Arquette brother and sister, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal, 
But we never hear about John and Joan Cusack, and they work really well together in this movie. And I don't think Joan Cusack gets enough credit as a comedic actress. I've seen her in a bunch of roles where she's very, very funny. And I haven't seen her around a lot lately, so I don't know what's happened to her. But the roles that she's done uh, in Toys, what was it, the uh, 16 Candles, it's really, really funny. She's really, really fun to watch, and she's really, really fun to uh, listen to. Uh, we need more Joan Cusack. That's what I'm trying to say. They're both on their headsets, and while this is happening, John Cusack is putting a rifle together, and while he's doing that, uh, he received a bit of mail about his high school reunion, and Joan Cusack is reading that to him over the phone, and he's like, no, I don't want to hear anything about that. I'm working on a job. John Cusack gets his rifle together, we look out the window, and he looks through his scope, and there's a guy on a bike, and he pulls out a gun. So the scene, here's the scene set up. John Cusack is across the street from a hotel, and there's these gentlemen coming out of the hotel. One of the guys coming out of the hotel is the mark of the assassin on the bike, and John Cusack's job is to kill the bike assassin, so the bike assassin can't kill the guy coming out of the hotel. It's a lot more convoluted when you have to talk to it. When you can see it on the screen, it's very, very evident, but that, that's what's happening here. So the guy on the bike draws a gun, and he, he's about to shoot, and John Cusack shoots the guy. And once that happens, all the bodyguards around the guy that he was supposed to shoot start unloading on this guy on the bike. And this guy on the bike is just shredded. Shredded with bullets! And he hits the ground... John Cusack thinks his job is over, so he starts dismantling his rifle. And when all that happens, Dan Aykroyd, one of the coolest entrances of Dan Aykroyd in a movie, he's dressed as a doorman, and he pulls out a couple of guns, and he just blows everybody away. He blows the guy that was supposed to be assassinated away, and he blows away all his bodyguards. And by the way, we don't find out who this guy was or why he had to be hit and why, or why he had to be saved. The movie's not concentrating on that. The movie is really concentrating on relationships. Like I said, very cool. Dan Aykroyd just empties two guns on him, throws the guns, and just walks away. The next scene, we see John Cusack standing by his car, and Dan Aykroyd pulls up right next to him. And they're both, they're both very skittish, because they both know that they're hitmen, and they both know that they're packing, and they both know that they could easily kill each other if they wanted to right here. But at this point, they're leery of each other, but they're still, I believe there is still sort of, sort of hitman bond. There's no contract out on either of them. So they're not going to kill each other. Professional courtesy. There's an old John Wayne movie called Rio Bravo and it's professional courtesy. Dan Aykroyd is trying to get John Cusack to join a union. Dan Aykroyd wants to start a hitman union because there's so many people. There's so many hitmen out there. I am a comic. I can relate to this. There are so many comics. Dan Aykroyd says, we're not getting the money that we deserve because there's so many hitmen out there that people are just taking the minimum amount of money to get the job done. And I've, it's the exact same way as a comic. There are so many comedians out there that it's hard to get paid what you're worth because somebody will do a job for much less than what you would do it for because you know that's what you're worth. Sorry, that was a little comedic rant on my, on my part. But Dan Aykroyd, he tries to get him to join a union. Right here. Good. Good. Hey, mental telepathy, uh, astral projection. You know. Here you are. <laughs> right. What do you want? 
Kid, I'm putting together a little concern, which would uh, enable those of us in our rarefied profession to avoid uh, embarrassing overlaps. What, like a union? Yeah, more like a club. Work less, make more. That's a great idea, but um, thank you, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Remember Burma? Yeah, I do. That nut General Quang. You were like a colonel in that army or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> he sold you all those tanks and shipped them to Alabama. Yeah. T-34s, I took a bath on that. Yeah, that was fun. That's what I'm talking about, kid. We could be working together again, for God's sake. You know, making big money, killing important people. I want to structure an arrangement where you get, like, you know, shares, original shares on the ground floor. And you would be the president of this organization, or maybe just a father figure to me. Hey, if you want a father, I'll give you a spanking. John Cusack turns him down, and Dan Aykroyd says... You're either going to work with me or I'm going to kill you. Those are basically the words that Dan Aykroyd gives John Cusack as he drives away. We hear that he has set up a trip to Miami. He has a hit in Miami. And we cut. There's a hotel room. And John Cusack, he is in the ceiling. And there's this guy sleeping on the bed. And he lowers the string to the guy's mouth. And he starts dripping poison down the string. And this is the exact same way a person tries to kill uh, Sean Connery as James Bond in You Only Live Twice. So this scene is lifted directly from that movie. And like in both movies, and it doesn't work in either movie. The guy is supposed to ingest the poison, but he moves and it lands on his cheek. It wakes him up. John Cusack runs downstairs, busts open the guy's door, and shoots him. Next day, he's back at his office. He's talking to Joan, uh, his secretary. And the people who hired him are pissed because it was supposed to look like an accident. It was supposed to look like a heart attack. And he messed up and had to shoot him. So now the people who hired him are angry and they want him to make amends. And this is a very, if you listen to my other podcast, the Burt Reynolds, Charles Bronson podcast, the last podcast I did for that was The Mechanic, where Charles Bronson plays a hired killer. And he messes up, and the people who hire him want him to do a special job. This is what happens now in Gross Point Blank. The people who hire him want him to do a special job to make amends for messing up the kill. And it happens to be in Detroit. Detroit is close to Gross Point. So his secretary has been pushing him all this time to go to his high school reunion. And it's just serendipity that the next guy he has to kill lives right next to the place where he has his high school reunion. He's going to fly to Detroit. Now we cut to a scene of Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was originally supposed to get the Detroit contract, but they were able to get John Cusack at a lower price because John Cusack owed them by screwing up, so they hired John Cusack to do it, and then take Dan Aykroyd off the project, and Dan Aykroyd is pissed. And he finds out that it is John Cusack who is doing the hit. At that point, he doesn't know that he's really being forced to do it. He thinks he lowballed Dan Aykroyd. So Dan Aykroyd makes a call to a couple of government agents and tells him that John Cusack is coming into town and he's going to kill a guy. So he's ratting out John Cusack. Now, before John Cusack flies to Detroit, he goes and sees his psychiatrist, played by Alan Arkin. And there's a scene where John Cusack is talking to Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin knows that John Cusack is a hired killer. Alan Arkin is just 
horrified. He's petrified of John Cusack. He doesn't want him as a client, but for some reason, John Cusack keeps coming back and back and back. The interaction between Alan Arkin and John Cusack is great, but we have that cliche of the hitman who needs to see a psychiatrist. That's a big cliche. I love Alan Arkin, but he does not need to be in this movie. He easily could have been cut out of this movie, and it would have tightened the movie, and it would not have changed anything. All of Alan Arkin's scenes, none of it matters. It doesn't really change John Cusack. He does that on his own. All the scenes to Alan Arkin, take him out of the movie. Let's shorten it. Let's tighten it up. For what it's worth, in this scene, Alan Arkin and John Cusack work well off of each other. Now he's in Detroit, and he drives to Gross Point. And while he's driving to Gross Point, two men are following him. And we find out that these two men are the government men that Dan Aykroyd has tipped off. What they're going to do is they're going to follow John Cusack. When John Cusack kills the person he's supposed to kill, they're either going to arrest or kill him. They're kind of the good guys, but kind of the... I mean, they're working for the government, and they are after a hitman, but then they're using Dan Aykroyd, who is a hitman, as information. Very slippery slope. Very, very muddled. There's not a lot of cut and dry in this movie, which is nice. Not a lot of things are cut and dry. Uh, and it, it'll come up later in the film. John Cusack drives by this radio station, and we see... Uh, we get our first glimpse of Minnie Driver, and she is a disc jockey... When John Cusack was talking to Alan Arkin, he keeps mentioning his recurring dream about Debbie. And Minnie Driver is Debbie. Debbie was John Cusack's old flame in high school, and now she's a radio disc jockey. He cruises by the radio station, and he looks in, and he, he drives away, and then he he drives to his old high school. He drives to his old and he runs into a teacher, and there's back and forth. This movie is close to two hours long. This movie is a... <laughs> It's a bunch of nice scenes that don't need to be in the movie. All the scenes are great. All the acting is great, but it just there's just some stuff. It's like it too much, too much. The scene doesn't need to be in there. He just meets his teacher and they go over old times, and that's it. Well, okay, I'll, the scene between him and his teacher sets something up. They probably could have done it without the scene, but the teacher asks what are you going to do now? And John Cusack says, I'm going to go home. Which I'm guessing, you know, his childhood home. And when he drives to his childhood home, it is now a convenience store. And he is flabbergasted. Open mouth. He walks into the convenience store. He starts yelling at the clerk. It's like the clerk knows what's going on. And at this point, we don't really know what's going on. John Cusack is just really... It's it's that kind of it's a that's the scene. It's what's going on? <laughs> and we find out when he makes a call. First of all, he calls his psychiatrist who doesn't pick up the phone. That's the running gag. We had that nice scene between John Cusack and Alan Arkin at the beginning of the show, and throughout the movie, he calls Alan Arkin, and the most of the time, he's just leaving messages on the machine. It's not needed. Now, here is a nice part. So he calls his secretary, Joan Cusack. It's very clever the way this movie gets out exposition. John Cusack calling his secretary, Joan Cusack, asking for information. 
So we get exposition from him when he's asking for uh, information, and then we get exposition from her when she gets it for him. So that's how we find things out during the movie, and it's I think it's kind of clever the way it happens. After John Cusack calls his doctor, and the doctor doesn't pick up, he calls his secretary and says that my house is gone, it's now a convenient mark, find my mother. The next scene, his mother is in a home, and John Cusack goes to visit her, and she's not, she's obviously mentally, she's not mentally right. She doesn't recognize him, then she does recognize him. Then she says, we've talked to your father. John Cusack hints that that's impossible. I'm guessing that the father is dead. We'll find out in a second. It's a nice, you know, and he says, I've sent you money, mom. What happened to the house? What happened to the money? So we know he hasn't ignored his mother. So this is building on the John Cusack character where he's treating his assassinations as business. However, he's not heartless. He's still taking care of his mother. He sent his mother money. Uh, he's here checking on her. It's the gradual building up of the John Cusack character in this movie. Then we go to a graveyard, and John Cusack takes this bottle of booze, and he pours it all over his father's grave. So his father died. John Cusack goes back to the radio station, and he actually goes in this time. And he sees Minnie Driver, and Minnie Driver sees him, and they're both... It's a really, really nice, awkward, romantic scene. They're obviously taken with each other, but it's been 10 years, and we're going to find out what happened uh, 10 years ago when he left. They say hi, they shake hands, and then there's an immediate passionate kiss, and then they back off, and then there's awkward small talk, and then John Cusack leaves. It's... This, it's a it's a picture perfect awkward romantic scene. It's really really nice, and the chemistry between Minnie Driver and John Cusack is really really nice. Well, John Cusack walks out and he's pacing around the station. And while this is happening, the two government men are watching him, and they don't know what he's doing. And while John Cusack is pacing around the station, Minnie Driver gets on the radio and says, "A guy from my past just blew in." And I don't know what to do. And then John Cusack goes back into the radio station. Minnie Driver puts him on the air. It's a lot of what you hear on the radio today. It's like, this guy just came back into my life. I'm going to open it up to the callers. Should I let him back into my life? Should I give him a second chance? What do you think, callers? One of the things about this movie that bothered me, for a lot of the times, people don't act realistically. We find out that John Cusack stood up Minnie Driver at prom they were really hot and heavy in high school prom night came along John Cusack freaked out and he joined the army and the army uh, ran him out to the CIA and they turned him into a hitman and then he went into business for himself so that's where John Cusack is in his life and we find this out during the movie but if somebody walked out of your life 10 years ago and you hadn't heard from him in 10 years I think there would be a little more anger. She says she's angry, but she doesn't act angry. And it happens multiple times through this movie where if you were a real person, you would not have acted this way. And I think this movie would have been a little more... This movie goes for quirky and off the cuff, which it achieves. But it sacrifices realism for that. I don't think a lot of people would react... 
I should say a lot of the real people. If you're Dan Aykroyd or John Cusack and you're professional killers, you're going to act in a certain way. But if you're a regular Joe or a regular Joanne, you're not going to act the way these people act. Anyway, I digress. That should have been a tangent alert. I saved it from a tangent alert. That was a digress alert. John Cusack leaves the radio station again. He tells, turns to Mini Driver, I, I'd hope we can talk later. And as he's walking down the street, he just sees this guy, this little, portly, muscular man. And it just catches his eye. And then when John Cusack, he looks over and he sees the two government men. And this is his, you think that John Cusack doesn't know what's going on. But even though all this weird stuff is going on in his life right now, meeting his ex-girlfriend, getting thrown on the air, his senses are still up and about. He still, he still knows where he's at. He's still seeing what's going on. And while he's walking away from the radio station, he runs into his old friend Paul, played by Jeremy Piven. I guess they were really, really close. Jeremy Pivens, his old high school friend, is now a real estate guy. And he's like, I got to show this house to these newlyweds let's go it's another scene where it's a nice scene between john cusack and jeremy pivens but why is it in the movie a lot of the movies that i watch when you see a scene why is it in the movie if you can't answer why it is in the movie then it shouldn't be in the movie and this is a why is it in the movie scene even if it's funny if it detracts from the main story the main plot it needs to go or the jokes need to be rearranged into the plot where it's not seen out of nowhere because this is it this is a scene out of nowhere john cusack meets his old buddy they drive to this house that his old buddy is showing to a couple of newlyweds one of the security guards there is another high school buddy so there's these three high school buddies and this newlywed couple and it turns into sort of a Three Stooges sketch out of nowhere. Then it's over. And Jeremy Piven and John Cusack drive back to his car. And while he's driving back to the running joke in the gay in this movie is people ask John Cusack, what does he do? And he says, I'm a, I'm a professional hitman. And everybody thinks he's joking. That's the running joke. But none of that needed to happen. From the scene where he left the radio station and he got in the car and he drove off with Jeremy Piven and Jeremy Piven dropped him back off it's just the same it's just we just took a roundabout way to get back to where that first scene ended or should have ended we have another scene of john cusack talking to joan cusack and she keeps asking how the hit is going and john cusack hasn't done the hit he's received he has a folder of all the information of the guy that he needs to hit and he hasn't even opened it joan cusack is getting worried about john and the next scene, for some reason, he goes back to the convenience store. I don't know why. There's no real reason for him to go back to the convenience store, but he does. And then the little muscular guy that he ran into the street, he busts into the convenience store. And while all this is happening, the clerk has is playing a, a video game with headsets on. So John Cusack and this little dude, they start shooting up the convenience store. And the guy is wearing headphones and playing a video game. So it's supposed to be a juxtaposition of cartoon violence set against a scene of real violence. So this kid who's playing a video game doesn't know that there is actual gunfire going on directly behind him. There's a big shoot -em out in the convenience store, and the little muscular dude runs out, and John Cusack finds out that there is a bomb in the microwave. 
another big cliche. And he grabs the kid and he runs out and the convenience store explodes. Another thing in this movie, which I don't like, which it's just, it's just the thing with me is a whole, when something big happens, it's like it, nothing big happens. That convenience store blew up. The kid who ran the convenience store, he doesn't say that John Cusack was in there. He doesn't give a description. It's like nothing happens. That convenience store blows up. And I, you can hear that, but no police follow up. John Cusack doesn't get a knock on his door. It's a small town. Everybody knows he's back in town. I just don't like it when stuff like that, and it's, it's there's going to be something big at the end of the movie. But that just bothers me. No follow-up on a convenience store being blown to bejesus. Because after it's blown to bejesus, John Cusack calls Minnie Driver and says, why don't you meet me at this bar and we'll go hang out and talk and catch up. Okay, let's do that. And we go to the bar. And all the scenes between John Cusack and Minnie Driver are great. We could have had more of those. Less frivolous scenes that we don't need. More scenes between John Cusack and Minnie Driver. Because those are what, pardon the pun, but those are the scenes which drive the movie. They're the nicest scenes. They're the nicest thing about this movie. We have nice romantic scenes between John Cusack and Minnie Driver. And then there's a lot of nice action scenes too. Those are the two things that really drive this movie. They go to the bar and they're talking and they're... John Cusack says, well, why don't I take you to the reunion? So now he's trying to get her to be his date to the reunion. And he goes into the bathroom, and the two government men are in the bathroom. He doesn't know who they are at this time, but he knows that they're, they're there for him. He says, well, I'm going to go back down, I'm going to finish my drink, and I'll be back in the hotel in about a half hour. If you want to, you can meet me there. And as John Cusack walks out of the bathroom, Dan Aykroyd comes out of the stall. We already know this, but Dan Aykroyd's like, well, why don't you get him? And the two government people are as well, he hasn't done anything wrong. Besides being in a shootout and blown up a convenience store, these two guys have been following around all the time. You're telling me they didn't follow him there when that convenience store blew up? Sorry, plot hole. Bothering me? Now it's cemented that Dan Aykroyd is working with these two government guys. John Cusack says, good night to Minnie Driver. She drives away. John Cusack goes back to his hotel room. And he gets a call from his secretary, Joan Cusack. And we find out, now John Cusack knows that the two guys following him are government agents. And John Cusack has found out that Dan Aykroyd has, uh, you know, given him up. We find out that the little muscular guy. So here's why, why, the, little, why the little guy is there. Is John Cusack was supposed to kill somebody, uh, but he didn't kill that person. But he ended up killing that person's dog. And now that person is mad because John Cusack accidentally killed his dog. So that's why this guy, this guy is here to kill John Cusack because John Cusack accidentally killed a dog of a guy that he was supposed to kill. Whew! I think I got that out. Hopefully I can fix that during editing. John Cusack goes to Minnie Driver's house in the middle of the night. I thought this was going to be another one of those scenes that does, but this scene is not... All the scenes between John Cusack and Minnie Driver build their relationship or rebuild their relationship. And it's a little bit funny and it's a little bit awkward, but it is an arc for both of them. 
So I didn't mind this. And during this visit, John Cusack convinces Mini Driver to go to the reunion. And Mini Driver kicks him out. No sex tonight, John Cusack. You've deserted me 10 years ago. You're going to have to work a little harder for that. The next day, the two guys in the car are following John Cusack again. They're back to following him. John Cusack goes into this little diner for breakfast. And then we get the talk between the two between the two government men. And one of the government men says, I can't wait to kill this guy. And the other government man, he doesn't want to be considered a cold-blooded killer. It's like, I'm not a cold-blooded killer. I will kill a guy that's a bad guy after he kills the good guy, but I won't kill the bad guy until he kills the good guy. So in his moral compass is he can't kill a bad guy until that bad guy kills a good guy. If he kills a bad guy before he kills a good guy, that makes him a bad guy. And he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy because he only kills bad guys after they kill good guys. And that's the whole speech that they have in the car. As John Cusack pulls into the restaurant, Dan Aykroyd pulls up and he goes right into the restaurant too. Dan Aykroyd is getting fed up with John Cusack. And they both sit down at a table. And this is kind of a tense scene. They both have their guns hidden, but not. Dan Aykroyd has his gun in a bag and John Cusack has his gun in a, you know, in his sock. And there's a waitress there, and they place their order. And once again, Dan Aykroyd, he tries to convince... First of all, he denies that he sent those two government men onto John Cusack. He Once again, he tries to recruit John Cusack into the union. John Cusack says no. And Dan Aykroyd loses his temper this time, right here. What about those two guys in a Caprice Classic outside? The word is you turn two governments on me, you turn coat. Me? You. Goji? Yes. On you? Yes. Never. Listen, why don't we get our relationships straight for a minute? Right? I didn't get into this business having relationships. But I don't want to join your goddamn union, all right? Loner, lone gunman, get it? That's the whole point. I like the lifestyle, the image, look at the way I dress. Why don't you become a cop or something? You can have coffee in the morning with friends. Look, this is a one-on-one -on -one business. The minute you start relationships, bad things start happening. <sighs> It'll make you feel any better. I think this is my last job. Oh, so what do you say? That. What do you say? We put away our guns and forget the whole goddamn thing and have some breakfast. All right? No scabs. From now on, all arrangements, all contracts, all engagements are regulated. You got it. We meet the new boss. Yes. No deal. Okay. But we're not going to let you do your little job here. No. No. Because we're going to do it for you. Is that right? And after we do your job, we're going to do another little job. Tell me about it. Like I'm going to put a bullet hole in your fucking forehead and I'm going to fuck the brain hole. Nice talk, sugar mouth. The scene awkwardly ends where they almost shoot each other, but they don't, and John Cusack leaves. We're in John Cusack's hotel room now. He's trying to get in touch with Alan Arkin because he's feeling nervous before the high school reunion. And while he's getting ready for the high school reunion... He's tying his tie in the mirror, but he's going over. It's like, I'm a dog psychiatrist. I'm a plumber. He's trying to go over he, of what he's going to tell people what he is when they eventually will ask him what he is. He finally gets a hold of Alan Arkin, and Alan Arkin just basically tells him to take some deep breaths and not needed. Let's just get to the, 
Let's get to the high school reunion. That's what we want to see. There's a lot of stalling to get to the high school reunion. Let's get to the high school reunion. We want to see that. Because that's basically where the third act of the film is going to take place. And John Cusack makes the decision when he goes to the reunion not to take his gun. Once again, we see a little more growth with John Cusack right here. He's running late and Minnie Driver calls his hotel room because she thinks he's going to stand her up again like he did 10 years ago on prom. We cut to the hotel room and his phone rings and there's a hand that, that almost answers the phone and then we see the hand go and pick up the invitation to the 10-year reunion. Well, spoiler alert, it's the small, chubby, muscular guy. And I don't know what was with all the... It had to be him. He, Because the other two guys are following him. And he's the, other, he's the only other guy that's been introduced. Unless this was supposed to be a mystery person, it had to be the guy. And that's who it is. It's, so there's, it's like a whodunit scene, but we all know whodunit. Unless it was a whodunit that we didn't know was going to do it. Anyway, John gets to Minnie's house and he gives her some flowers and she wants him to say hi to his dad. And her dad is drinking in the den and her dad is played by Mitchell Ryan. And Mitchell Ryan is one of these character actors when you see his face it's like, oh, I know that guy. That guy's been in everything. Well, he's in this. And he plays the dad, and John Cusack and Minnie Driver's dad have a, a little bit of an awkward conversation, and then they go to the reunion. The reunion, it's it's played like every, every other reunion. I guess that's the only way you can play it, but it's played like just every other reunion scene in any other movie. Hey, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, remember me? And then there's, oh, and then there's the guy, oh, you are you were the dick in high school. Oh, you were the jock. And he runs into this one, so it's running into these old friends, some who know him, some who don't. It's just a very, for such a clever movie up until now, this is just a very cliched scene. I guess it had to happen in the reunion in the reunion scene, because there was no other way. I guess I'm contradicting myself. I said a lot of people don't act like the way they would, but everybody here acts like they way they would in a reunion, even though that's really cliche. So I'm talking myself in circles here, people. One of the people he runs into is now a lawyer, and he gives him a pen. One of the people... Okay, let's do this. We're going to give you one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. That's right, a tangent alert. The woman who's wearing the neck brace in this movie is Jenna Elfman, who was in Dharma and Greg, and Mitchell Ryan, who plays Minnie Driver's dad, was also Greg's dad in Dharma and Greg. Boom! Six degrees of Kevin Bacon-ish. John Cusack and Minnie Driver sort of slip away and they have this nice little moment. Here it is. Do I have recurring dreams about you? Did I tell you that? Like five nights a week for like six years. Did I tell you that? You know, yesterday on the radio. When you probably get humiliated. Yeah, well, you know, no less than you deserve. I think I think I was overly harsh when I said that you were broken. How, really? How so? I don't think you're broken. No. I think you're 
mildly sprained. <laughs> Nothing that can't be mended. Wow. I think, I think that's a compliment. Yeah. What was I gonna say? That you're glad you came back and you're real happy to see me. Yeah, I am. I definitely am. Sorry if I fucked up your life. It's not over yet. Saying it before, saying it again, all their scenes are great. And they they dance. And then they get a little hot and heavy in dancing. And then they slip away to the nurse's office. And they have sex. They have sex in the nurse's office. And after the sex, I think John Cusack convinces her to go away with him for a couple of weeks. That's nice. And she's going to go and she's going to say goodbye to some of her friends. And then one of the assholes that uh, John Cusack met during the night wants to start a fight with him. And John Cusack, being who he is, could have easily kicked his ass. But he decided to talk him out of it which he does, and many drivers sees this. John Cusack doesn't know, and she thinks he's a nice guy, he's a good guy, because instead of getting to a fight, he de-escalated the situation. Well, John Cusack is, he wants to take a look at his old locker, and when he gets to his old locker, the little short, muscular guy comes at him with a gun, and John Cusack kicks him away. Uh, this is a, a very nice choreographed fight scene. And you can see that John Cusack is doing a lot of the kicking and a lot of the fighting. And I've, I'm always impressed when an actor will do that. And at the end, John Cusack ends up stabbing the short little guy with the pen that he got from his friend. Right in the jugular. He starts bleeding all over the place. Mini Driver sees this. She freaks out and runs away, and while she's running away, Paul, Jeremy Pivens, is coming up the stairs, and John Cusack just says, help me, and Jeremy Pivens and John Cusack take this body, wrap him up, and throw him into the incinerator in the basement of the school, and they start walking back up, and he cleans up all, and the guy bled all, once again, the guy bled all over the place. And they show that John Cusack was able to clean this up. And this wasn't, but you know, they had forensics and stuff like that. Even if nobody was looking for this guy, I'm telling you, they're going to find blood on the... Uh, I'm sorry, okay. Let's just go with the fact that he killed a guy and he shoved him in the, in the incinerator and uh, nobody is the wiser. And they walk upstairs, John Cusack and Jeremy Pivens, and they order a drink and he's looking around for Mini Driver. He can't find her. He just goes home. And he's just lying, lying in his bed. Oh, 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 I forgot. Ooh, okay. Um, I forgot. To, so uh, during, uh, we're good. Sorry, this is a little out of order. But while John Cusack was going through all of his friends at the reunion, he met a friend of his who recently had a baby. And she's holding the baby. John Cusack, you know, wants her to talk bad about marriage. Because everybody, a lot of people are talking bad about marriages and divorce. And she says, no, she actually talks marriage up and how great marriage is. And she has this little kid and she shows this little kid to John Cusack. And John Cusack looks into this little boy's eyes. And you can see something click in John Cusack's face. And now he, I think he appreciates life more seeing this and he wants and this is one of the steps to help him get out of becoming a contract killer okay 
now we're back uh, to the plot in the movie where John Cusack is now back in his hotel room. And he calls and he fires Alan Arkin. Once again, another scene that wasn't needed. And Minnie Driver comes to his door. <laughs> and they try. It's sort of... A, it's sort of a very morbid Abbott and Costello routine that they do about John Cusack trying to tell her what he does and how she's freaking out and how he thinks she's overreacting. It's very, very funny and very, very grim all at the same time. And she leaves and she tells him, never, never contact me again. The next scene is Joan Cusack trashing their office. She's pushing everything over. She's covering everything in gasoline. John Cusack is out of this business. He is retiring, he is gone, and he left Joan Cusack a stack of money under her desk. Get a nice ending for Joan Cusack. And while John Cusack is sitting on his couch, he finally opens up the packet of the person that he was supposed to kill. And lo and behold, it's Minnie Driver's dad. Now I'm going to admit this. I did not remember this plot point in the movie, but when I saw Minnie Driver's dad, it clicked with me. I figured it out. I think a lot of people probably did that the guy that he has to hit is Minnie Driver's dad, which is what happens. We cut to Minnie Driver's dad jogging, and Dan Aykroyd is now going to take over the contract, and he has Minnie Driver's dad in his sights, and John Cusack drives up. I don't know. I mean, I know probably how Dan Aykroyd found the guy. He was following him, but John Cusack just comes out of nowhere, tells the guy to get into his car and drives away. And John Cusack drives him back to his house and he gets into the house and many drivers pissed that John Cusack is there. And then John Cusack explains, well, these guys are going to kill your dad and I'm the only guy that can protect you. All these assassins come in to, to kill many drivers dad. And the remainder the mostly the remainder of the movie is John Cusack in this gunfight in Minnie Driver's house. And it's kind of exciting. John Cusack takes out all of Dan Aykroyd's henchmen, and then it's just Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack. And while John Cusack is upstairs, we hear Dan Aykroyd downstairs, and he starts singing. And it's really kind of weird, and it's really kind of creepy. He's taunting John Cusack. And John Cusack knows he's the only thing standing between, you know, the girl that he loves. Oh, and while this is happening, and this is, this is while, while the house is getting shot up, and while John Cusack is defending Minnie Driver and his dad, he confesses his love to Minnie Driver. All this is going on at once. I love you. I'm defending you. I got to shoot this person. It's all, it's just a whole cavalcade of emotions happening all at one time. And Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack are in the kitchen and they start shooting at each other. And at that moment, through double doors, the two government men rush into the house and Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack team up right at that moment and both of them shoot the government guys. So now the government guys, gone. They're gone. And John Cusack and Dan Aykroyd are out of bullets. So John Cusack does the only thing that a person would do in that situation and plants a TV over Dan Aykroyd's head and kills him. He goes upstairs and he asks Minnie Driver to marry him. And Minnie Driver slowly closes the door. And on the next scene, it's those two driving away. That's it. Minnie Driver's house was turned into Swiss cheese. Two government men were killed. 
a, a half a dozen other men were there killed. She's able to leave town? She's able to do what she wants? Because she said, because no time has passed, because she goes, this is the end of the weekend. So this is the next day that they're driving away. You're telling me after all this carnage and all this damage, nothing? She has to, she gets to leave town? She's not going to stay in town and be questioned? We're not going to find out John Cusack? Ugh. That really bothered me, okay? I I like the final scene. I like the... You know, the juxtaposition between John Cusack confessing his love to Minnie Driver and trying to fend off all the people trying to kill her and her dad. But that ending, it's just so abrupt. It's like, oh, we can do whatever we want. And now we're free to do whatever we want. End of credits. All right. And that was gross point blank. What did I think of the movie? Once again, the scenes between Minnie Driver and John Cusack drive this movie. They have excellent screen chemistry together. Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack, the few scenes they have together, work. they work really well off of each other. There are a lot of non-needed scenes in this movie that could have been cut out, that could have been tightened. There are some boring patches too whenever it's not John Cusack and Minnie Driver or John Cusack and Dan Aykroyd there it can the movie can be a little dry John Cusack carries this movie and Minnie Driver is excellent those two drive this movie and Dan Aykroyd is excellent as a supporting character Everything else is sort of a hodgepodge of stuff it's like okay this works and that works but this doesn't work and that doesn't work I just think it just once again I've said this about a lot of movies a lot of stuff that didn't need to be in there let's tighten it up people okay let's do this let's make a coherent tight story that gets you in and out with no superfluous dialogue and no superfluous scenes but all in all it's a fun good romantic it's got a little bit of everything it's got comedy it's got romance it's got violence if you got a couple hours to kill, it's a nice way to do that. And that's it. And that's another Dan Aykroyd podcast. If you want to support me, you can go to my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White, or go to my website, scottyblanco.com, and it'll take you to all the projects that I'm working on right now. I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed giving it to you people, and we'll see you next time here on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. When I'm out walking, I strut my stuff, and I'm so strung out.